CJ, uh, when you were up here speaking to the kids, I, there's over 300 titles in the Bible for Jesus that, that, that is a title of Jesus, associated with Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, uh, we read, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write the Amen. And the Amen, the faithful, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. So Christ himself is referred to as the amen. and uh, Amen and amen. So thank you. Um, do want to mention to you this morning, uh, Don, I mean, uh, Danny Adewine, uh, he finished this round of chemo last Thursday. I talked to him yesterday. He was actually having a really good day. And he had gone to his mother's um, down in Grosbeck had eaten some fried shrimp, was having a good day. Uh, but they've got to go back this week to have a, another scan, uh, trying to figure out where they're at. <clears throat> and he believes there will be another, uh, another round of, of uh, chemotherapy as well. So obviously keep them in, in your prayers. Uh, April, talk to David in April, and uh, she's doing well. I mean... Um, she is doing well. The pain has really subsided. She's able to eat, Scott. You know, I mean, she's progressing. You know very well what she's going through. And and so uh, just continue to keep them in your prayer. Larry, Jan, how's, uh, how's Pam? Pam's getting better each day. And uh, I think that's going to be healing right the Okay. Uh, and then I don't know if you're aware, but Elisa Jacobs has had some pretty difficult uh, significant back, uh, which well, is going to have surgery on the 20th uh, this this upcoming week. So obviously keep uh, Alicia Logan. She's in so much pain she can't even pick her children up, and and so it's it's really difficult. Uh, in your bulletin, September 2nd, we're starting our Awana program. I know that uh, CJ and David and Don Kellybrink and Don Vizi they've really put a lot of effort into this and figured out how to put together a program that's going to work. It's in the bulletin, but I just want to reference that, 630 to uh, uh, 8. And I think we, you've got about 35, 36 kids signed up. Is that correct? 37 and 15, 16 volunteers. So, and really have put a lot of work in how that's going to work. Our Zim program is just continuing to be a, a blessing. We'll continue to meet Wednesday night, same time, 638. There's a lot to be thankful for. And then Sunday school, that starts the Awana uh, September 2nd. Sunday school starts uh, September 13th here, 9 o'clock. So, and uh, Rick Dubeck, you have a guest this morning, don't you? Who is your guest? Amen, amen. And it's good to have her here. Uh, I know you're happy and pleased to have her, have her here with you. So, okay, open your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Daniel. 12th chapter of Daniel. Um. I will say as you're turning there, uh, Philip and I had a great opportunity, had a great visit this week, and we talked about that. Uh, two things that came to my mind as we discussed and what he was going to say this morning and uh, really outstanding words, um, uh, that there is a big difference between caution and fear. I Personally, two things came to my mind. Uh, there were years, a lot of time I spent in a rodeo arena, and, and for years I, I obviously approached what I did with caution, but I wasn't fearful. The last year that I was in that arena, I was fearful. 
And the reason I knew I was fearful is because I knew what the difference was. I knew at that point what it was to be cautious uh, and then to be fearful. And when I was fearful, I wasn't any good. I mean, I couldn't be any good. I couldn't accomplish anything. And so there is a huge difference between caution and fear. And, and then if you really want to get spiritual with it, Jesus was a cautious man. He certainly was cautious. He even said to his apostles, you be, and the New Testament church, that the apostles be on the alert. We're to be on the alert. There were time, times when Jesus, uh, literally, you can read it in the Gospels, where they avoided a particular area or they went here. Or he said the time wasn't right. But the one thing we know about our Savior, he was fearless. He was fearless. And so we do live in times. And I think the most important thing is that we examine ourselves as Christians. Where, where do we stand? Um, because we do live in a world that is gripped with fear. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 and you go on and uh, read in chapter 16. But in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says about his people, the church that we're supposed to be the light and salt and sweet aroma to a dark, dark, broken world. And, and so our life is different. I don't know. I was talking to somebody right before service. My, boy, my brain is getting... Um, but when you think of who we are, uh, it was Carmen Janusz. Um, she said, what are, what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of dying? I'm not, seriously... Are we afraid of dying? Paul very clearly says, death, where is your sting? The apostle Paul says in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. And uh, if there's anybody who shouldn't fear death, it's the body of Christ, the one who overcame death, so that we don't have to fear death. But that's, just thought I had a good visit with Philip this week. It was good. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince, the great prince, and he has, if you were to read all through Daniel, uh, he, he is, there's a vision the king has had. Um, Daniel has interpreted that vision. Uh, he goes into great detail about that vision. And so, as he is giving details on the visions and the prophetic uh, revelation that God has given him as well, he says at chapter 12, now at that time, this time, there's a time, an appointed time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, remember I talked last week about time and that God is sovereign in time. He knows the very uh, number of the hair on our head and the days of our lives are numbered. So such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Those to... Uh, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, 
these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book. Conceal them, seal them up. Uh, This book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now I'm going to stop there. We're going to next week. I'm going to break this 12th chapter down in such a way that I, I hope my prayer is that it becomes very clear that you, you could read it today and say, okay, I understand. I am, I, I do understand what was revealed to Daniel. And so before we get there though, and I always say I don't believe in coincidence. We have a men's Bible study on uh, Wednesday mornings and, uh, um, and we're in the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Ephesians and, uh, and as I said, I do not believe in coincidence. Before we get into that prophetic word in the book of Daniel, we, we had started this series in Revelation 1, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and that title for Christ, chapter 8, where the, Christ reveals himself in the book of Revelation. And he says that he was the first. He said the last. He said, I was uh, I was, I am, I'm going to be. <laughs> I, he, Christ was in the beginning, he's in the present, and he knows the future, and he is the future. But he says, uh, I, he says, the Almighty. Christ, the Almighty. And so we've been talking about what that means. We're going to continue with that, We're going to connect all these together. Um, but before we can understand Christ, the seven messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor as the Almighty. And before we can fully understand the implication of that sealed prophecy in Daniel having to do with eternal life and eternal damnation, um, there's something that needs to be explored. And we saw, we got a great, uh, just a segment, a look at it this morning. Um, we're here. We're the body of Christ. I mentioned in a handout uh, two weeks ago, mentioned it again, that that Greek word means ecclesia, the body of Christ, but it means the called out, those that have been called out, uh, they've assembled, and they're the congregation of God. So the church, we say church, it's not a building. It's not a piece of property. It's the people of God that he has set aside, called out, assembled, and they congregate in honor of him. So um, so when you look at um, the purpose of God's people, the church, and I just read or quoted the passage out of Matthew 6 uh, about we're supposed to be salt and light and a sweet aroma. If you go to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus asked, his disciples. He said, who do people say that I am? And Peter, if you're familiar, he spoke up. And the apostles, they were, you know, they spoke up. He spoke up. He said, well, some say you're Jeremiah and Elijah, and some say you're John the Baptist uh, who have returned. I mean, John the Baptist has been um, killed at that point, the cousin of Jesus. And, and Jesus, he said, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ. And remember I mentioned last week that that Christ means the anointed king of Israel. 
So we read Christ, but if they read Christ or they heard Christ, they literally, what they heard was the anointed king of Israel, and Israel are the people that strive with God. So every time Christ is mentioned in the New Testament, the readers then, uh, the message to who was, you know, whether it was a letter to a church, or whoever it was, an audience in a sermon, um, they understood the anointed king of the people who strive with God, okay? And so, so we have uh, in this letter from Paul to the Ephesians, Connecting it back to Matthew 16, when Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the anointed king of Israel. You're the son of the living God. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, blessed are you, Simon of Bar-Jonah. That was his father. From now on, you're going to be called Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, the title, this name, I'm going to build a church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So in Matthew chapter 16, Peter makes a confession. Jesus says, here's the reality of that confession. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to use you, Peter. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It'll be eternal. And so if you go to the second chapter of the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, one of the five national festivals... If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, uh, Numbers, God gave his children. He led them out of Egyptian bondage. He said, there's five, five times a year you're going to celebrate something that has to do with our relationship. Passover. Uh, Pentecost. And so on the Pentecost, 49 days after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Passover of Jesus, uh, the Jews are celebrating the Pentecost, which was a celebration of the harvest. God gave them a harvest. Didn't matter what the circumstances were. Didn't matter where they would be. They could celebrate a God that would give them a harvest. And so on that Pentecost day, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they've, they've been obedient to Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you go to Jerusalem. And you're going to receive power from me, from on high. And you're going to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and, and then even the remotest parts of the earth. And on that Pentecost day, that, the, that it happened. It happened. It had been spoken about in the Old Testament saying, the prophet Joel said, there's going to be a time when your sons and daughters will prophesy and there's something that's going to happen at that moment. And on that Pentecost, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled. Peter stood up and he preached. And on that day, the prophecy of Jesus, Matthew 16, was fulfilled. The church, as you know it today, you and I, was established in Jerusalem. The, the assembled the, those who've been called out, the congregation, 2,000 years now, and here we are in Curtin, Texas. But before we understand the implications of Jan Daniel chapter 12, I want you to go to Ephesians, and we're going to do this quickly. I had started a series that's been over a year ago out of Isaiah, and it mentioned the, um, about how Isaiah addresses a casual relationship with God. 
how and today we see even the the effects of that i i obviously part of that goes to the reality of spiritual warfare but uh you know our our attitude about christianity uh, how important it really is uh where should it be i mean how important should it be and so if the book of Ephesians is about anything at all, it's about the church. It's about the church. It's about the called out, the assembly, the, the congregation. It's about the church, the significance of the church, the importance of the church, the mission of the church. And, and I hope the words that Paul uses in this letter um, resonate in your life today. I truly do. I, I believe we are. I've said this for several weeks in a row. I believe with all of my heart that we are in a time of winnowing, separation, harvesting. I just believe that. And I wouldn't, I, 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 I believe right out of the pages of Scripture. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I will say this about fear. If fear does have a good dynamic to it, if you go to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, and actually Solomon references it more than once, that's the first place. He says, fear is the beginning of knowledge. Fear is the beginning of knowledge. But we know that John would write that perfect love drives out fear. But if it takes fear for us to know God, praise God. Praise God. And it is a fearful, like the writer of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. There is something to fear. And if that fear leads me to a knowledge of God and a submission to God, a humility to God, and even a love of God, then praise God for that fear. So, but, so Paul went on three missionary journeys. At one point, he spent three and a half years in Ephesus. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Ephesus was one of the messages of the seven churches in Asia Minor, not that far from uh, Patmos where John the revelator, John the apostle, uh, was a prisoner. And I mentioned last week that the seven churches in Asia Minor was part of a mail route that was close to Patmos. Ephesus is the first church that Christ uh, uh, mentions in those seven messages to the church in Revelation. Paul is a prisoner. He spent three and a half years there as a, as a preacher. Uh, he established the church. Uh, you can read about it. Ephesus was, a, uh, was probably the, what it was, the most prominent city in Asia Minor. And so Paul writes a letter. And they were just going to go through this quickly. So in chapter 1, uh, in verse 3, here is the theme. This is, this is what the letter is about. This would have been his opening statement of, on a thesis of the church, uh, to the church, about the church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What a statement. But, so what you need to know, if you have ever wanted to be involved in a study, if you've ever wanted to know, okay, the Bible talks about blessings, and uh, you just want to do a study on blessings, this would be the preeminent place to start. It truly would. It's kind of a word we just, well, God has blessed me. Well, okay, what does that mean? And then you might say, well, I know he's blessed me because of this, this, and this. Now, Paul takes it, a step further. He, this is a, a tenet, a biblical foundation and belief concerning blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He has 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, you may not feel that way. You may not even know what every spiritual blessing is. You can read Ephesians, and you could do a flow chart, and you could just check it off, because that's what it is. It is a, it literally is an analysis, uh, a declaration, uh, a thesis on every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You can know it. You can absolutely be sure by reading this book and just diagramming. And now he's going to, he starts and he doesn't finish. The entire book is dedicated to proving this statement. So he starts in verse 4, just as he chose us in him. That's the first spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. That's where it starts, that Jesus Christ decided, I'm going to choose this person that God, I'm going to choose, or God chose, I'm going to choose through Christ in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's the very first spiritual blessing in the heavenly place that he chose us in him. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons, uh, as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. He did it in love and he did it according to the kind intention of his will. That's a blessing. No one else will ever be able to bless you that way. No one, no one, no one can choose you before, <laughs> before the foundation of the world. Nobody can, can adopt you as a son through Jesus Christ according to his kind. Can't do it. Not, not like this. Now, in verse 7, in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness is of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul makes three gospel statements in this book. This is number one. If somebody ever asks you, tell me the gospel. What, I, you church people use gospel all the time. And you say, well, it means the good news of God. Paul defines what that looks like. Here's the first gospel statement. This is the first one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's the first gospel statement. There's no gospel. You're not saved. You're not a member of his church. If you've not been redeemed through his blood, forgiven for your trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, not your grace, not my grace, not the preacher's grace, not anybody else's grace, but his kind intention in love. Verse nine. He made known to us the mystery. Hold on to that word, mystery. Paul uses the word mystery. And it has to do with the church. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, in Christ. This is what God did for us through Christ. He chose us. He adopted us. He redeemed us. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, if anybody, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, this is how you ought to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed by thy, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If you're a Christian, um, and in fact, we've taught in Scripture, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else is not of God. You know, we should just, hey, just say, hey, the will of God. But I think if you're a Christian, I know that sometimes you wonder, is this God's will? Is this God's will? I see 
what appears to be injustice. Uh, it's a current theme throughout Scripture. Just ask Job. We have Job's, the comments of his wife, his best friends. They were sure what God's will was. They said God's will is this. You've sinned against God. You need to curse him and die. That's what they were concerned. And Job had a comment. No, that's not what's happening. Maybe you've been in a place like that in your life. Is this God's will? Jesus comes across a blind man, and the Pharisees ask him, uh, so did this man sin or his parents? Because they were convinced that God's will was that somebody sinned in order for catastrophe to happen in their life. And Jesus said, neither. <laughs> this man was born this way so that God might be glorified. Boy, there's some big boy doctrine. God's will. Now, what I, one of the many things that I love about this book is that he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, church, if you don't get anything out of this this morning as we, as we move to this, I want you to take this with you in this winnowing, harvesting time of a global pandemic, people living in fear, a, 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 a world gripped in chaos and nobody's picked up a weapon against each other. This isn't a nuclear war between Russia and the United States and the entire world at some level is gripped in chaos and fear. Fortunes have been lost. Manipulation and political fortunes are taking place. And then there's the church, the body of Christ, God's people, and Paul's letter to God's people is that he chose us, he predestined us to adoption, he redeemed us, he made known to us the mystery. I could just continue. Almost every verse is a verse uh, of the list of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then there's two prayers in the book. So if you go to verse 19, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints? He makes all these statements concerning every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to his people, and I've had to shorten it, but every verse, you just do the flow, you can do the chart. You say, if I didn't know what the blessings were, I do know now. There's something that Paul is talking about that has to do with the mystery. He's praying that the eyes of our heart, the church, may be in, uh, strengthened so that we might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the people that have been adopted in the saints, to the people that he has sanctified as he has redeemed them. That's what his prayer is. And then in chapter 2, he says, by the way, there's something you need to remember. This is this, is this next set of, of one of those spiritual blessings, which is all of them. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That, that was all of us. That was everybody. That was everybody then, that's everybody now. And when we think of a spiritual blessing from heaven, we have to, it needs to be weighed. There is a truth. And Paul talks about it in the third chapter of Romans. He said, you know, he's quoting Old Testament scripture. He said, no, there's not one, not one that's good. And then he would say, all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we're going to understand every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as it deals with the church, we need to remember that we were dead in our trespasses uh, in sin. We formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, uh, wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, remember his kind intention, remember his love, chapter 1, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And you know the great passage that now ensues. He says, you've been saved by grace through faith. That not of yourself, lest no man boast. And now the mystery is being revealed. So he says, he says, listen to this. He says, for by grace, verse 8, you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And why? Now here's part of the mystery. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we ought to walk in them. In love, in Christ, kind intention, redemption, gospel statement. Um, this is some powerful stuff. Verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. This is some Old Testament stuff. Now here it is. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Something happened that changed all that. Verse 13, gospel. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gospel. I mean, so what's the gospel? Here's the, what is it? Hmm. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Gospel. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gospel. But now here's where I want to bring it all together. He talks about everything that God has done for us through Christ. And then in verse 19 of chapter 2, he, he, he shifts gears. He's giving conclusions. He makes a statement. He elaborates on that. He, he proves that statement is true. And then he makes another statement. And he says, so this is the conclusion. This is what you can learn from it. So all of that, verse 19, so if you have a highlighter pen, or you ought to write this down or just highlight. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's who we used to be. But you are 
fellow citizens. You ought to write that down, fellow citizens, or highlight it. With the saints. You ought to highlight fellow citizens, saints. And are of God's household, God's household. Fellow citizens, saint, God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, you ought to highlight whole building, being fitted together is growing in a holy temple. Highlight that. Fellow citizens, saints, household, whole building, holy temple, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So if you took fellow citizens, saints, God's household, whole building, temple, holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling of God in the spirit, you have just described what God accomplished. So what, what we have witnessed is that in this description, this conclusion that, that Paul is talking about, everything that, that God did through his son, and you and I are the benefactors of, something has happened. And it has to do with the mystery. He took a people, a church, and this is what he calls them, fellow citizens. I'm going to repeat it again. Saints, God's household, a whole building, a holy temple, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's what God did through Christ in establishing a church. Now, here's where it gets really good. Chapter 3. He says, for this reason. He said, this is what, if you were to just take uh, chapter 1 and you just highlighted every time the word he, him, his, himself, it's amazing. You, there, there's over 30 uses of the personal pronoun of he and him and his and his power, you know, all his glory, his glory, his purpose. I mean, all of it's in him. Talking about God in Christ and what he'd done to them. And then the second chapter is about what he did for you and I personally and who we were. Uh, you got a prayer in there, and then he makes a statement about God doing something. He, he saved us to uh, be created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. And, and so this is who we are, and then he says, for this reason. Now he talks about how it affects him. Say you believed chapter 1 and chapter 2. Say you believed every word of it. Say you believed, I do believe that this is what God did through Christ. I do believe by his blood he did all these things. I do believe that I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I believe that. But then you just stopped right there. If the, if the letter ended there, we're all in trouble. Now, seriously. And I think today... That's where many Christians are. Yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. And Jesus would say in Matthew 25, it not, just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean anything. He said, in fact, there'll be a time when people say, Lord, Lord, I say, I depart from me. I didn't know you. And you could connect it to this passage right here. And then he talks about those that he would know. That their understanding of what God did for them was so important that it, you could see it in their lifestyle. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was cold and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you came to me. And then what he said, and it's so overlooked, 
See, you think, or I think when we read that, that maybe that means that, okay, I'm going to do some good stuff for the Lord. I'm just going to do some good stuff for the Lord. I, I should, right? And, but then you would miss the entire teaching. Peter came to Jesus. He said, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? Just no, 70 times seven. When you begin to weigh what God did through Christ for you and I and really weigh it, Jesus would also teach, he said, there are those that are forgiven little and they, they love little. And, and the church, I really believe this, is full of people that have never really weighed how forgiven they are. And so they love a little. He said, but he who is forgiven much loves much. The most powerful church you'll ever be a part of is a group of people who realize how much they've been forgiven. That it really is. The most powerful spiritual church that you'll ever be a part of is a church where the people in the pew and they congregate and they assemble, understand. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I think it was Piper, John Piper said, he said, the problem with the church is we don't have many wretches in the pews. And that's what Paul is illustrating here. God did something. But then if you know that and if you believe that, you ought to be able to do what Paul says for this reason. For this reason. For everything that he did through his son on behalf of me, somebody who was a child of wrath, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, dead in my transgressions, I was made alive. And I had nothing to do with it. It was simply God determined before the foundation of the world that he would do something for me on behalf of his son, through his son. And then, and then, then, it, needs to, then it needs to have some life, church. And he says, for this reason, I think we all, every church, every church member ought to sit down and say, yep, I believe I was dead in my trespasses and sin. Yep, God saved me. He did it through his son, Jesus Christ, because he's merciful and he has a great love. And it was never a random act. And it's just awesome, and I think that's great. And for this reason, I, you put your name there. This is, this is how I'm going to respond. This is what God has called me to do. And he does that. He said, he, he said man. But did, he says, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. These people had heard of that. He'd been three and a half years. He'd been, they knew, every, they knew that. They had heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to Paul, to me. If you believe that you've been given God's grace, what are you doing with it? Are you giving it to someone? Are you withholding it? That Matthew 25 passage, I didn't forget that. He said, this that you've done to the least, the least, the least you've done unto me. That word, if you'll really do the etymology of that word, it means the least deserving. 
It means the one, and here's literally what it means. The one that has the most accusations against them. Think about that. I would imagine everybody here has a list of someone who has harmed them. Unrightfully harmed them. Viciously harmed them. And and the accusations are true. You could make the case, support the case, and the case would be true. And that's who Jesus is talking about. And by the way, those are the people he said that's going to be in his kingdom. If you can do that for that person, if you can do it to the person that's harmed you, if you can do that to your enemy, don't talk to me about how godly you think you are, maybe how godly you think, you know, somebody. I don't want to talk to you about my godliness. I don't. I, I don't. We shouldn't. But the Bible very clearly says and teaches us what it looks like. What God did through Christ in him for you and I is that you and I should be doing for others in him. He said he understood that he was given grace to give grace. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you gave grace to somebody and not just a friend? If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please hear this. When is the last time you gave grace to somebody you don't like? And then the next question is, why wouldn't you? If you believed what God did through his son for you, why wouldn't you? I mean, if you believe it. And maybe it, you just think, well, he did a little. I've been really, I've been a pretty good person. I, man, I, he didn't really have to do a lot. I know he saved me, and that's good, and I'm proud. And the church is a nice place to come, and they got good facilities, and I like the worship leader, and it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. And I don't know, maybe you could just go through that process. But when's the last time you gave grace to somebody because you were fully convinced it was given to you? And that's unmerited favor. That means they've done nothing to deserve it. That means Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That means Jesus Christ, the writer of Corinthians, Paul said he became sin. He became sin, your sin and my sin. This holy son of God, he became sin. And he was the only one that could have made an accusation against all the people who had cursed him and spit upon him and lied about him, plotted to destroy him, most of them in the name of God, and that they felt the conviction that they could support out of Scripture. He said, forgive them. And he goes on, but I, I want to finish here. He said in verse 3 of chapter 3, he says, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote, before and brief. He used that word earlier. He said, he talks about his ministry to the Gentiles. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. You know, if you're going to talk about uh, the reason that you do the ministry that you do, uh, you could only come to one conclusion. It's not your ministry. It's a gift of God. 
given to you according to the working of his power. It's not your ministry. Just like your salvation is not yours, your ministry is not yours. The ministry that Mark so wonderfully performs up here was given to him. And it was a gift of God according to the working of his power. CJ appeared wonderful. Children's moments. I learned so much. I do. There's not a week that she doesn't do this. David last week, just that about the plunger. I mean, I could, if you understand that. And Jesus says, if I just give you a cup of water, that's all I want. But it's not your ministry. And by grace, it was given to you according to the working of his power. And it's the gift of God. But now I want you to hear this. Verse 9, and to bring to light, this was the gift from God of his ministry, why he did what he did. Here's that word. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which was uh, for ages had been hidden in God, who created all things. There's a mystery, a mystery, a mystery, a mystery. And here it is, church. This is it. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, to the, through the church, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Remember, he's, he said, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then this is what God did through Christ. This is who you were. For this reason, this is what I do. There's been a mystery, and it's been a mystery, but now you need to hear there's not a mystery anymore. And he did all of this through his Son, by grace, so that you and I can be sweet aroma, light and salt, so that what was a mystery would no longer be a mystery. And so, not only a mystery, but listen to this is the most profound statement in this letter having to do with the church. I don't believe in coincidence. We've got more people here than we have had. I will say this, and I've just got to say it. Don said, remember when this pandemic started? We might have 15 people over there in the old sanctuary. And, and we've been, you know, 50, 60, as many as 85 in the middle of a pandemic. Many churches aren't open. It's okay. Uh, new members, more new members coming in the middle of a pandemic. Now, I don't believe in coincidence. It's God that adds to the church. But I don't believe in coincidence because of this morning and this statement. Listen to this. In order God did everything for you and I and for Paul, and it was never a random act, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Hear me. Please hear me. So up until the day of Pentecost... All the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places where all of our spiritual blessings come from, they didn't understand it. Michael, we just read about Michael, Daniel 12, Gabriel, all the archangels, they didn't understand it. Satan didn't even understand it. All the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, they watched Creation, they're watching. Okay, God's a creator, and he made a man and woman out of the dirt of the ground, and he did it in his image, 
What's the wisdom in that? I don't understand that. And then he gave them a, 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 a rule. He said, you can't do this one thing. And then, you know, we were there. We were there. We saw Lucifer cast out of heaven. We, we saw it in his rebellion. And then, and then, so Satan, he's allowed to tempt them. And he, t- what's the wisdom in that? And then, and then Adam and Eve have two sons, and one kills the other. What's the wisdom in that? And then he's banished, and Cain and his descendants become builders of cities, and Seth, his become the sons of God. But then you get right to the end of the fifth chapter of Genesis, and what happens? It says, man, the sons of men, the descendants of Cain, started to have a relationship with the daughters of these sons of God which were Seth's descendants, and they corrupted them. And in the saddest verse in the Old Testament, the saddest verse, it said God was sorry that he'd made man because evil was continually on his heart. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But if you're in a, if you're in a heavenly place and you're a ruler and you have authority in the ruling place, you say, what's the wisdom of this? What's, I don't understand this. And then you move forward. And the people just, he's, they're destroyed with the flood. And, 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 and then you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of the things that happened with them, and covenants that, that, on faith and circumcision. And then there's Joseph, one of the descendants of, boy, where's the wisdom in that? And then the people of Israel, they're slaves, and, and they cry out, and God, and he sends them Moses. What's the wisdom in that? What? I'm watching the play. I don't see the wisdom in any of this. I don't see it. And then he frees them, and, you know, church, I want you to hear something about God's people. There's a whole generation didn't get to go in the promised land. They were grumblers and complainers. But it happened. And then Joshua came along, and they get into the promised land, and hmm, period goes time. Time goes by. There's judges, and they want judges. Then they want kings. Oh, my lands, they want kings. Got to have a king. Samuel warned them, the kings are going to be oppressive. They're going to take your sons and daughters. They're going to attack. And God said, it ain't about you. Don't worry about it. They've rejected me. So he can let them have kings. Most of them were evil. And then he gave them major prophets. He gave them Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. And he gave them minor prophets. And they stoned and killed most of them. Jesus addressed that. And then a period of time comes by. And the prophets had said that there would be a Savior. And he'd be born in Bethlehem. And he was. He lived for about 34 years performed signs and wonders and miracles, and he was killed by the hands of godless men. And the rulers and authorities still had to say, what's the wisdom in this? This doesn't seem very wise to me. I don't see the wisdom in this. This is a mystery. He chose 12 men. One of them betrayed him, and he, they replaced him. And, and then on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he preached. 
And at the end of his sermon, he said, Men of Israel, be sure of this one thing. This Jesus of Nazareth, you killed. And they were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do? He said, repent. Repent. Be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a wonderful thing happens. At that moment, the rulers and the authorities in heaven said, now we get it. Now we know. On the harvest day, why would he send his son? We know some things about him. He's spirit and he's love. But church, please hear this, especially your young ones. Please hear this. The, the, the number one spearhead in Satan's, you know, the prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. John chapter 8, he's a, his native tongue is lying. He's the father of all lies. Peter, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's the accuser. The number one, the number one attack in spiritual warfare, Paul talks about it later on, is you and I, the church. You and I. Number one. And and I have to tell you, I think he, he certainly had a certain amount of success only limited to the autonomy of God and the omnipotence of God, but all those letters in the New Testament are written to the church. And it's about these things. But I want you to hear this morning because I don't believe in coincidence. Through all the history since Adam until the day of Pentecost, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly place They didn't know the manifold wisdom of God. They didn't know it. They didn't understand it. It was a mystery. But when God, through Jesus Christ, established the church on the day of Pentecost, that was just what he told Peter would do. He used Peter. Every ruler and authority in the heavenly places said, Oh my, I get it. Now how should that translate in your life? What's going on in your life? How important is the body of Christ and the work that God did to establish you and I as his people? How important is it? Is it important enough to come to church on Easter and Christmas? Is it important enough to have a Bible hanging around the house that you read occasionally? Is it important enough that we feel good when we're having a moment where we'd like to listen to some spiritual worship, uh, you know, some, some music that makes me feel good? Is that how important it is? Is it, is it important enough that I belittle grace and I just treat grace cheaply because, um, you know, there's other things that I can do in the world that really, you know, God will understand. The first commandment was that you and I are to worship him. 
God does not ask much from you and I. I want to tell you the single most important thing in the first century church was to meet in a place of worship. And it might have been by a river and it may have been in somebody's home. And they were under great, great threat of life. Not a virus, but having their tongues cut out and their eyes and even killed. It was more important to them than any, any family gathering. It was more important to them than any uh, social event. I would hope and I pray, and I believe those people still exist today. I do. I believe that. We ought to be convicted in our heart because if the manifold wisdom of God can now be made known through the church, that means that you and I are eternal just as Christ. The gates of Hades will not prevail, and we have a mission. And we have a mission, although we can live cautiously, is to live fearlessly and take the sweet aroma that God has made us and the light and the salt to a fearful, dying world and say, let me tell you about the harvest. Let me tell you about the wisdom of God in spite of all the foolishness of men. But I hope you look at these words and you say, man, Look what God did for me through Christ. I remember who I was. For this reason, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be a godly child. I'm going to be a godly teenager. I'm going to be a godly wife. I'm going to be a godly husband. I'm going to be a godly friend, even to my enemies. Because I'm part of a church. And when God established it, Everybody in heaven understood his wisdom. In church, this world need, needs God's wisdom. It needs God's wisdom. And you and I are God's wisdom. What a great thing to think of, right? 